Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another scintillating episode of Radio Free HPC. As always, I'm Dan Olds and joined by Jesse Lanham, who's back at home base in California. How you doing, Jesse? I'm doing okay. How are you, Dan? Did you gather up your meager possessions from Purdue? I did. Thank you very much. Storage uniteded away. Nicely done. Very nice. And we've got Shaheen Khan down in the valley. How are things down there today? They are excellent, Dano, and I'm glad we're going to have a scintillating episode this time. Yes, it will be scintillating. It's not often we get to have a scintillating episode. And we have Henry Newman here, and this is the first time that he will be speaking from his new bunker in Las Cruces, New Mexico. How's it going, Henry? It's not going to be the last, Dan. No, it won't. It won't. But uh, how's coming together okay? Never fast enough, Dan. Never fast enough. Is the rammed earth holding up well? <laughs> yeah, the house, it's uh, like 106 outside. Inside the house, it's like 70. Nice. Nice. And what was that, 21-inch? Without, without air conditioning. No 21-inch rammed earth walls? Yes, correct. Wow. Nice. That's very nice. Very nice. So today, we have a special guest. I guess I'll go ahead and introduce that guest. Probably should, right? We have Cody Bumgardner. And he is from the University of Kentucky, where he is an assistant professor in pathology and laboratory medicine. He's got a deep IT background as well. Cody, say hi. Hi, everybody. Okay, great. Well, thank you for being on. We really appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you soon. Great. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Now, what precipitated this short visit? Yes. So, Cody, what brings you here today? We're here to talk about edge computing. We're writing a book about it, and I think it's something that's fairly new. And there's some di- different people think different ways about what is edge computing. So our book is actually titled uh, "Making Sense of Edge Computing," and we ho- hope to do that. What is your definition of edge computing? Well, I think mine is pretty close to. I think it was the uh, the director of NIST said that depending on your perspective that anything could be an edge. And I think a lot of people have thought it, uh, you know, is it um, strung together microservices or is it mobile computing? Uh, is it even, and some people even think of it as a content delivery system. Um, r- really, I think of it more as a kind of a computational paradigm that's within edge computing, but really more a collection of techniques. Um, so mm. fr- from an academic standpoint, it, you'd put it in distributed computing, uh, but I, I really I think it boils down to the fundamental question of when do you move computation and, and when do you move data? And, and Cody, this is Henry. I've got a couple questions because I'm a big believer in that 5G is going to change everything, especially when we get into millimeter fi- wave 5G and you get four terabits per cell approximately. So how do you think this is edge computing is going to change in the next, say, five, 10 years as we move towards that 5G paradigm away from the current way of communicating with the core. It probably a lot of it depends on, in my, my personal opinion, would be what's on the other end of the 5G. Uh, if it's if it's relegated to you know, personal phone plans and you're just having 
faster streams and it's just you're, you're gated by the number of people that are connecting, uh, I'm not sure how much edge computing will have to do with that. And that's really more of the view of it as a, as a mobile device. Of course, we'll still be running AI models, but you'll be able to transfer more data back. Uh, if, if it is more of a, now we have 5G, we can have more devices and we can have uh, probably more, more uh, economically friendly ways to sprinkle those devices around cities or your house or that sort of thing. Well, that, that kind of changes the paradigm where we can actually generate more data and transmit more data. Like a smart city? Yeah. So we, we've done quite a bit of work in smart cities. But the problem that you end up having with any of the city type of things is that cities aren't deploying 5G. So if you think about it from a network perspective, you may have 5G to um, AT&T or Sprint or something like that. But that doesn't really get dropped off in the city. It goes from the tower, which then gets backhauled to a larger market if you're in a smaller market, and then will go off to some remote data center. So mm. any, anywhere between your phone and that remote data center, uh, things can basically fall off and break. And there's obviously tons of capacity that we can have in fiber to do backhaul. But if you want to do something with that data before it goes to the data center and back, then, then you need mechanisms to do that, especially in cities or cars or control systems and, and even your own house. So let me ask, how much of edge computing has to do with 5G at all? I think that's just the mechanism to, to move data. You know, part of the, the underlying tenets of edge computing is that you don't have specific infrastructure. I mean, you kind of deal, you have to deal with what, what you have. It's in no way, if you look at on one edge of the spectrum, years, you know, past 30 years of high performance computing, we're building these machines. If they weren't centralized to begin with, we're building to be very homogeneous. You know, the, the latency needs to be the same. The com compute needs to say, be the same. Uh, if you don't do that, then it just, uh, the, the applications don't work. Uh, I look at edge computing on the, the far, as far away from that as you can get. Um, you can't guarantee the architecture. You can't guarantee the underlying communication mechanisms. It kind of has to take a step up so that um, you can you can do your computing however you, you need to be able to do it. You know, maybe it's on a phone, which then communicates to a, a traffic pole that then communicates to the city that then communicates to a distant cloud. And this is just very different than having the, the knowns that you typically have in a controlled system. So that sounds like we're finally network is the computer. Or the computers, the network. I mean, right. it, yeah, I think it's uh, there's lots of terms for it. The ubiquitous computing, those sort of things. It it, it really creates a, a an interesting set of challenges, where if, if somebody comes back and, and says, okay, well, um, what what I did, what I found in 2011 or 12 were some of the fundamental problems that are now described when you look at edge computing papers and books and that sort of thing. It's, it's why why does it exist? And it exists to solve a problem, much like cloud computing exists. And, and the problem is, in some cases, you can't possibly transmit the data. So this goes back to the 5G question. If you have a network that's sufficiently fast, can you then turn around and transmit all the data in duplicate someplace else? And, and so let me get, get to explain what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a research project last year, ended last year, and it was to, to do privacy-preserving network measurement at international uh, points of data exchange. So if, if you're going to South America for telescopes or you're going to uh, Pacific Rim, and, and one of the areas that, that we connected with and had equipment in was in uh, uh, Chicago called Starlight. Uh, Starlight at the time had something like 36 one gig connections. Mm. Now, if you're trying to measure the data coming through Starlight 
at the same time as you're measuring what's going to South America at another point, and which measuring going to California uh, through, through, or South America through Texas and uh, through uh, what's a California going to the Pacific, it's impossible to transmit that data back to some location to make sense of it. I mean, you, you have to, uh, you know, then do some of the work on the, on the edges. Okay. Uh, so th- that is a, kind of an extreme case, but there's, you know, also many other ones. And my, my whole claim on the edge computing thing is that maybe uh, every problem right now doesn't require edge computing. Um, but if you think about it, we're playing around with this stuff. We're, we're not really at the point where we're making use of it. Hey, Cody, how much of this is brand new and how much of it is just kind of the data streaming that we've been doing all along becoming a lot more pervasive? Because the classified guys have been pre-processing data as they get it. And the Wall Street guys have been yeah. doing straight through processing and basically touching it as it flows. And I, I mean, I guess a related question is, what are the key technologies that are needed? How much of that is in place? How much of that has yet to be built? I think a lot of, at least a lot of what I see is, um, is a kind of what, what in computing is really new. Um, a lot of it's just a, a re, remixing of, of of old ideas into to something that uh, now is either required or or used in a new way. So I think as far as complex event processing and stream analysis, a lot of those techniques are are very old. Um, but what may be different is is how that they're how they're used. And the idea that you're actually going to take a complex event processing an engine and put it on an embedded device versus having to bring that data back. Um, and and that's what's and that's what's changed is that you, you may be generating those sort of things. And then, okay, the next step after you're generating the information, so you've, you've built your sensor and you're streaming your data and much like we've always done, if it doesn't get above a certain threshold, you, know, you don't send it. Um, a lot of times you do want to send it because generating that data now is, is what you're using to populate your training set. So you don't want to send the raw data, but you want to spend enough encoded in a proper way. So what we spend end up spending a lot of our time doing is taking raw data that has some context between, uh, you know, whatever protocol you're using or whatever machine between two machines or between two applications, and then trying to semantically wrap that in ontologies that are then parsable kind of more broadly, and that that is one of the benefits, or at least what we claim is one of the functions of edge computing, is to have a device that then can apply contact wrap context around the data itself and then put that into a more generalizable system that then could be subscribable and from a distributed complex event processing standpoint, you could make better sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody, there's so much more going on in what you described than just kind of the edge. Why are we calling this edge computing? I think when I started in 2011, 2012, it wasn't called edge computing yet. It was uh, when we had a uh, analysis of a bunch basically around campus some of it was hpc analysis which was kind of a bigger data problem but wasn't hard to get at the data and we wanted to check and see what people how people were using the hpc because the data that was being generated was kind of too large large to deal with so we, we dealt with that one way the next was we were trying to build out research networks both on on campus and we'd had several funded projects to do this uh, to, to build out because the researchers were saying hey we can't transmit data and the, the network folks were saying, well, look, we can transmit data. It's perfectly fine. So what we ended up doing was putting probes around you know, the campus, and we couldn't connect to the devices directly to generate the data because the, the network here was old or it wasn't giving us the right information. 
So back in 2012, we were generating these, creating these devices, putting in taps around the network in different systems, and then having to bring that together. And that was, uh, I think, one of the early things we used was uh, Apache Storm. Right. Which it was before it was Apache Storm, it was uh, you know pre pre that, and that that worked really great if you could bring all the data back. So the idea with Storm was that you had these subscribers and really more of a, a graph type processing system that was really great to be able to distribute, but but fundamentally had a thing that was missing that I spent the next I don't know probably eight years working on, and that was the idea of a global scheduler. Mm. So monitoring and global scheduling, same thing with Kubernetes or or any of these kind of distributed systems, they're, they're not intended to be used this way. So you can call it edge. And what I was saying, everything's the edge is that uh, I think it's just a placeholder for a group of techniques that you're going to see uh, as a, almost a requirement going forward as increases in data occur and devices incur and you have to make kind of real time decisions on data. So why write a book about it? Okay, so I have uh, some thoughts on, on on books. A couple of years ago, 2016, I wrote a book on OpenStack, and it, that was uh, something that I'd not really thought about doing. I'd known people that wrote books, but my advisor wrote a book to get his dissertation, and he strongly suggested I do the same. I was interested in the topic, but anyway, okay. So that that was a, a I think a, it's eye opening to see that process. That I think self publishing, and and I've reviewed several books. But I'd not really um, had not been uh, part of a uh, publishing house like like Manning that really does uh, kind of push you to to deliver a certain high expectation. But anyway, I made it through that, published the book. We did a good job there, and then fast forward to now, and uh, I had you know, PhD students, and said, "Well, maybe I'll make them do something." Mm-hmm. What I found <laughs> is that writing books is like having children. Or, or uh, things like that. And I've had a couple of those too. So <laughs> equal numbers of both. And that you, you forget how painful it is and you look back on it fondly and then you think, well, maybe I'll just do another one. That'd be great. <laughs> so that's how I ended up doing this. Uh, I, that, that my, my work is in edge computing, but I think part, part of it for me is what, why to do it now? Why do it now? Is that I think there's a lot of folks that, whether it's graduate students or people that I work with, are doing some things, the hard, what I would consider the hard way. And, and, and this is such a fundamental, in my opinion, change in the way that you think about programming and you think about infrastructure and the way that things are going to have to work, in my opinion, going forward, that it was, it was, time, it was time to do, to, to try to break this down, at least as I see it. So is it edge computing? Is it streaming data? Is it uh, uh, really just a, a higher level functioning of, of, of mapping some application across a, a network of um, you know, heterogeneous resources, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but that's, that was the point is that I think this is going to be something that people will have to adapt to in, in the future. Okay. So you reference grad students. You also reference, you know, answering the basic questions about edge computing. Like who would you say that your audience is for this book? I think you would probably not. I mean, all this, sometimes these books gets, gets, they get picked up for course content. For the most part, it's, it's okay. practicing people that, that are, uh, developers or architects or somebody that that thinks um, you know has has some of these problems and and might be able to make use of them. And what we try to do is to take and, and provide examples so that somebody can see how these things would fundamentally fit into what they do. So we go through through what is it that you know what what is it that we think edge computing is? Why does it matter? And then try to break down what are the components that we think are important. 
you know, a lot of people aren't used to working with agent-based systems. They're used to having the data either on their device or in some cloud. And, and what I think you end up doing, at least initially, is that some people look at edge computing and think, well, this is just a, a computer that is smaller and sitting on, on the edge. And it's doing something and then transmitting data back. Well, for a very simple two-node network, it would be. For something that that you would need to, say, uh, populate a building to make you know, control decisions, to run AI models on what, what to do within that building without going to the cloud or without going to some central location, then it's because start become, it starts becoming much more complicated. Well, would you then consider something like the uh, Mellanox inline switches that have computational capacity? Would that also be an edge device? Oh, I took and ran, so I don't know that we've used Mellanox stuff for years, but usually it's just fiber, fiber channel switches, but they, 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 some of them do have computation. I remember years ago, even, uh, I think it was Arista, uh, had that uh, they were one of the first ones that I knew of that had kind of user land Linux that you could get into. So at one point, I've actually run uh, a agent based system on a Arista inside of Arista inside a container. So it can it can be done. Typically, you don't do that because you're you're going to the 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 forwarding plane is obviously in hardware, but then you have some kind of minor management plane that you can run this stuff on, and it, it mm-hmm. doesn't have a whole lot of you're already sent. I guess what I'm saying is you're centralized at that point that there's not a whole lot of reason. Uh, if you've got a, a big switch sitting someplace, it's easy enough to throw a box you know, on it. Uh, that being said, we did a lot of this kind of work in in the SDN days. I guess there is still mm-hmm. is SDN, but in the OpenFlow days, mm-hmm. where we had things running on the switches that were actually making, making some of the decisions for um, the forwarding plane. But in general, adding intelligence to stuff is a good thing, right? That's kind of what you're doing in some ways. Yeah, and what you think you're seeing on the switches now is that they're they're actually doing a lot of the computation for the statistics in whatever kind of little user land system they have, and that becomes a, a bit of a, a smarter system than having to do the all or nothing. So before it was nothing; it was this kind of complete distributed system that didn't, other than you know various routing protocols, uh, switches didn't didn't really have any intelligence um, beyond themselves, other than kind of storing forward, where. Uh, now they can actually make some reasonable decisions. If anything, just to have the decision to to uh, propagate some measurements someplace else. Well, we had the whole craze about layer seven switches for a while. Is that coming back, or is that what you're seeing? I think any of those things would be um, probably kind of tied to applications. I think you're seeing the network for function virtual for virtualization, right. decentralizing that versus centralizing it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, my, my look is if you view this, if you stop looking at it from an infrastructure perspective, because we're, we're, we're really mimicking. So what happened with the cloud? You, know, you had m- multiple layers of cloud. The first thing that most of us used was, uh, well, I don't know what the first thing, but the, the one of the first things was a mimicry of what you have on your desk that happens to be in a cloud provider. Okay. For me personally, there's some benefit in that, but, but you really don't get a whole lot of benefit compared to say uh, an application exposed by API that then has much more ability to scale. Okay. So I'm looking at, when you look at edge computing, it's a similar type of thing. So if what we're are used to our practices that we're used to doing uh, are thinking around, well, it's, it's a computer 
or it's a, a little embedded system and it, it generates some data, it transmits data. If you look at the broader graph of what it, what it means to have a system that is aware of key performance indicators in the application, the, the computational ability at each step in that graph, you know, if you look at the application as this graph and you have all of this information, you can make some uh, optimizations, global optimizations on placement uh, across devices. And and uh, you know have that system re react to it. Pe people have been doing this forever. You know, Amazon does this all the time. These, these big companies do it, but individuals typically don't because they're not used to dealing with uh, lots of different devices, lots of different architectures. Well, I would just a comment was that going back, I mean, the edge computing and switches and programming switches. That technology started in the Power Challenge. I worked on that stuff in '96. It did that. And, you know, though we come a long way, there's still not a common programming model. Do you see that coming out of this? No, no honestly, I don't know. The, the way I look at edge computing is, is a bit above where you would be dealing with uh, individual hardware like that. Uh, now, the way that I would think of it being possible is if there was some form of computation known on the switch itself. And uh, you had something attached to it, and for whatever reason, you might need to store some information on the switch, or you might need to do some sort of computational offloading on the switch. That you could do that, uh, but I think the idea of the kind of the software-defined networking aspects of it, which is really just the where do you move data, is probably less of a. I, mean, I think you could write an edge application to do that, but it isn't fundamental to making ed edge computing work. If that makes sense. Matter of fact, we have we have written edge computing applications to to manage those sort of things, but I wouldn't think that 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 would be a natural home for, for that to exist. Well, Cody, this has been fantastic. Thank you for a glimpse into your world of edge computing. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's really great. Thank you. Yeah, we've really appreciated it. Thank you very much, and we will check back with you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, that was a great interview. It really was. Fantastic. Excellent. And I think we need to thank Jesse for lining this one up. Good job. <laughs> no problem. Very much. Yeah. Bask in the praise while you can, Jesse. Yeah, the short praise. <laughs> yes. Now we're Jesse, done. I always praise you. I'm not like Dan. Now, That's true. Now we're done with the praising Jesse part of the show. <laughs> Moving on. And I just don't praise any of you. Uh, Henry. Is there any reason why nobody should ever be online ever this week? There is this week. There's a good one. Um, the people are getting scammed by being money mules. So they all look online, oh, work from home, do this job. And uh, what the first thing, they, you know, they do a little bit of work from home, and then they become a money mule, violating federal law, moving Black. Are they moving cash? They're moving money through dark accounts ah. to, or, or white accounts to dark accounts and vice versa. It's pretty of, ugly. What kind of cut of that could some guy get if he were willing to do it? I don't know. Uh, they're, they're, theoretically they're, speaking. Theoretically speaking. Theoretically speaking, it's not. It, it, it is illegal. It's, 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 let's see. It's Interpol kind of illegal. Get out of the game, Dan, is what he's saying.
Well, <laughs> what if a guy had a VPN? It's um, uh, you're asking for it. <laughs> you're asking for it, Dan. It's inter- it's 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 illegal. Illegal. If yeah. you work for Interpol and you listen to this podcast, please write in yeah. and let and Dan also, know. Also, <laughs> it's kind of illegal that it's still illegal if you didn't know you were doing it. <laughs> well, that would be my first defense. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I well, just, somebody like, told what me. else is new? It's just like, just like declare mental that. incompetence. It's like surfing the web. I said, that's all I thought I was doing. <laughs> okay, well, good spot on that, Henry. So working from home, stay legit out there, people. Keep it classy. Really? Don't do crimes. That's right. Now, another sound in the distance. It's time for the catch of the week. What do you got, Jesse? I got the fact that I moved one more time this semester. Nice. (laughs) Nice. And I found out that I own more boxes of books than I do clothing. So I think that is an appropriate ratio. Well done. That is very cool. You're ready for graduate school. Ah, Yeah. (laughs) Keep telling me that. And the books weigh probably 10x the clothing. Uh, Yes, very much so. Very nice. And you want to go down and load those books all into one huge box and then try and pick them up. Just one large box. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's good. Oh. No. (laughs) My my wife. This is my third time moving this semester. No, I've learned my lesson. You do that once. And that's usually at the end of freshman year. (laughs) That's exactly when I did it. Good job, Shaheen. First time I ever moved with my wife, she took an old uh, toilet paper case box and filled oh, nice. that up with books and then paid it <laughs> <Solid>. shut. <laughs> I thought I was going to die when I tried to pick that up. <laughs> so, Henry, you got a catch? I guess that means no. I guess that means no. <laughs> Complete and utter silence on Henry. He fell part. in. He's with the fish. He's actually he's yelling at contractors right now. I'll bet. Most likely. Actually, yeah, he's I'm not, you know, asking me if I could turn the power off and I'm not on any power. That's the fourth person to ask me the same question. Wow. Okay. It's a good thing that GC is there. Yeah. Shaheen, what do you got? Right. Uh, HPC Wire has an article about how you program Aurora. And that, of course, oh. is the first planned exascale system in the U.S. It's going to get uh, going sometime soon. Uh, and basically... Uh, it references a bunch of slides that were presented by uh, Argonne National Labs. Very, very good stuff you should go read. Uh, but basically referencing a, a conversation we had, a heated discussion we had a few weeks ago on open a one no, sorry, on one API and mm-hmm. CUDA and all the other programming environments. Uh, this one sees uh, data parallel C, DPC plus plus and a whole bunch of other things kind of reemerge. So it's uh, it's good material for a further discussion. Interesting. So those are just fine models. We don't need we anything. We're going to... to need data parallel, and we're going to be need to be able to move the data to the co- the computation of the data rather than data to computation. That's got to change. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, I just I just don't know how I would manage that against my dusty deck Fortran that I'm not going to move. That's well, another good point, you actually. Still punch, you still have punch cards. I understand. Yes. Yeah, you well, I'd li- I love how we have swapped places here in this discussion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you ask, what is my catch? I the do. ISC 2020 student cluster competition will be virtual this year, along with the rest of the event. And I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, following on it. 
um, video interviews and just all sorts of fun things. So I want people to get get ready for that. It'll be kicking off on June 1st and we'll run through the 23rd. And it's going to be basically a stock car type format with everybody using the same cluster. Hmm. Oh, really? Are you hosting bets, Dan? I will be hosting bets. Oh, boy. I will put up a betting pool. Are you saying it's the exact same configuration for all of them? It's the exact same machine. Same same machine. Wow. It's going to be going from the 1st through the 23rd. So they'll be taking turns Dan, on it. Are you in a state that allows betting? Uh, I'm going to base this out of Nevada, Henry. <laughs> and, and as long as UNLV isn't a competitor, then I think it's safe. Plus, it's virtual money anyway. Well, Jesse, I was just trying to keep Dan out of space on the other thing. You know, money legally moving through the internet. Yeah. 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 And we already have our Interpol listeners writing in. And I'm not yeah. saying that the house won't take a little dip of that. <laughs> That's just how it goes. You play the game. The house takes a rake. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. Thank you all for listening. Uh, throw us a tweet. Come on, damn it. Throw us a tweet. <laughs> We're at Radio Free HPC. You can also send us an email. And that is podcast at RadioFreeHPC.com. Podcast at RadioFreeHPC.com. And our thrilling contest is still going. So please, if you're the 18th emailer, you will win a fantastic prize. And they, people can email more than once, can't they, Dan? No, they can't, actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the rules oh. we abide to. That's why it takes so long. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.